Middleton. Portis for three. Bang! Connaughton for three. Bang! Giannis Antetokounmpo with another finals gem. And the series is now two games to one. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Michael Jordan. You know, all I care about right now is getting one more. That's all. You know, just uh, take care of business, doing our job. Adjustments. 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 You gotta adjust. Adjustments. Adjustments. Make an adjustment already. Adjustments. It's all about who can adjust. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. It's MLB All-Star Week, the All-Star Break, the most dreaded week of sports radio, the entire sports calendar. Sports sports hosts hate this week. They dread this week because there's nothing to talk about. Oh, there's nothing to discuss, nothing to debate. Well, maybe if you're an inferior sports radio host, and this year's really different because the NBA Finals are pushed a little bit farther into the summer. We had the McGregor fight on Saturday night, an awesome night of UFC fighting. Greg Hardy got his bell rung, which is amazing to see. Yesterday, we had some huge soccer game. It was part of the Euro Cup, which I don't really understand, and I don't really understand soccer, but I was there for it, and I watched it. I was really bored, but hey, I guess I get the appeal for soccer people. A lot of sports to discuss right now. And of course, Major League Baseball All-Star Game. That's the whole point of the week, too. This week is supposed to be the slowest week of the year for sports talk. This year is going to be a little bit different. And we trained for this. We prepared for this last summer. We went like three months with no sports. We made it through. We were just fine. I think I can handle a couple days where we don't have a Brewer game to talk about. I'm so excited for today's show. This week is going to be an absolute blast. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. We do not fear the MLB All-Star break on the Wisco Sports Show. It does not phase us. Lots to talk about today, mostly Bucks. I'd say, uh, I'm no calculator, but I don't know, 73, 74% Bucks. A little bit less than three quarters Bucks. So like 75% Bucks, eh, back it off a little bit. A little bit less than 75% Bucks. I do want to spend about 20 minutes talking about the Brewers. That's coming up at 5.30. Our big Brewers segment of the day is going to be at 5.30. So mark that down on your planner, set your alarm, whatever. If you're like, hey, Grant, I'll talk about the Bucks. That sounds kind of fun, but really, I'm a Brewers. Okay. We got you. That's coming up at 5.30. We're going to talk about the Brewers series against the Reds headed into the All-Star break. That's our big, juicy Brewers segment of the day. I want to talk a little bit about baseball as a whole as we go into the All-Star break. That's coming up at 4.50. Other than that, I have Bucks Talk planned for basically the entire show. They win Game 3 last night, getting their first NBA Finals victory in 50 years. In the first NBA Finals game in Milwaukee in 50 years, the crowd looked nuts, especially out outside on that plaza. Oh, to be a deer in a district. It looked just, it it looked kind of outrageous. Like, I like to party. I like to be in crowds. I like to have a drink, but I, <laughs> that, whew, looked even to be a little bit much for me. That was next level in downtown Milwaukee in that deer district last night. So I, I want to talk about the Bucks win and try to project where the NBA Finals is going to go next. And we've talked about this for months now, right? The way in which seven-game series ebb and flow, and the momentum swings back and forth from one team to the other. So we obviously won't know where this series will be in a week. We don't know what we'll be talking about or who we'll be excited about or who we'll be down on. 
We don't know. We can try to forecast based on what we know so far through three games, the third of which was last night, the Bucks winning 120 to 100. If you want to text, if you want to call, shoot me a text, 608-796-2558. You can also tweet me, follow me, at Wisco Grant if you're on Twitter. If not, you're not missing much. It's a terrible, toxic website, so just text me. As Schmidt on the north side has done, he says, I heard the Deer District was loud in more ways than one last night, if you know what I mean. That is all. Is that an, uh... Is that a recreational drug reference, Schmidt? I'm assuming that's what you mean. Yeah, they're they're partying. They're having a good time. I'm not gonna hate. I'm not gonna hate on them for that. Although I, I have seen tweets and stuff about that. <laughs> I have seen tweets about that in the D district. Yeah, I think they're celebrating. Thank you for that. Completely unnecessary, but still funny observation, Schmidt, um, from the north side as always. Six zero eight seven nine six two five five eight. Bucks won game three. They won by twenty. And I have been rearing to talk about this game since 9 p.m. last night when it finished. But before we dig into this game, I want to start with a little perspective and set things up a little bit. Because I think to most accurately react to a game, you need to understand what a game means. What were the stakes? What was on the line? The Bucks being down two games to nothing last night made it an absolute must-win game. No team has ever come back from 3-0. So if the Bucks lose last night's game, they're done. It's done. It's over. The only question is, do they lose in five? Do they lose in six? It's done. And that's not me being hyperbolic. That's not me being dramatic radio host guy. If the Bucs lose last night, it's done. Series is over. Season is over. Now, if the Bucs win, crack the door open a little bit. Winning game three when you're down 2-0 gives you an opportunity to grab a hold of the series and tie it back up at home. That's what the Bucs did. They gave themselves an opportunity to come back on Wednesday and really make this a series. Now, the Suns are still in command. The betting markets would... Agree with that, that the Suns are still favored to win the series. But the Bucs last night kept themselves in the game. And Giannis getting healthier and the Bucs maybe being the deeper team because the Suns are dealing with some injuries. The longer you can keep this thing going might be advantageous for the Bucs. Simply put, if the Bucs lose last night, it's done. If the Bucs win, it's a good start. They won. So now we have a live series. We're off and running. Win it last night didn't have to be pretty. They just needed to get it done. Like I think of the Brooklyn series when they won game three to get off the schneid, they made it 2-1, to one, and they won 86-83. And the next day, everyone's like, oh, what a miserable game from the Bucs. I don't care. I don't care. They could have won last night 52-50 to 50, Wisconsin Badgers style. Just get a win, get on the board, and get things moving in a positive direction. They did that, and they did so a little bit more commandingly, comfortably than they did against Brooklyn. They won by 20 points. Through a quarter last night, I didn't think the Bucs were going to win. I didn't have a lot of faith. Going into that second quarter, let's say through the first 12 to 15 minutes of this game. I tweeted last night, seeing play after play after play that all make me think that the Bucs can't win this series. And I haven't deleted it because I have integrity. This tweet is getting ratioed. A lot of people hopping in and, and complaining about it. Look, here's why this tweet aged well, okay? Because all those plays in the first quarter that I saw, the plays that made me go, oh my God, they can't win this game. Chris Paul going three of four and hitting some incredible shots through great defense and Giannis leaving early for injury or fatigue. That was concerning. And then Bryn Forbes missed a wide open three. And I'm like, ugh. Missing shots point blank at the rim. I'm like, if if this is how this is going to go, we can't win. I saw play after play after play that was just dejecting. It was very frustrating. Like, oh, if this is how it's going to go, we we can't win. And then in the second quarter, all of those crucial, crazy plays, those disheartening plays that were kind of killing my confidence, they stopped. They stopped. Down three. The Bucs entered the second quarter. It was the most important quarter of their entire season. And the second quarter has not been kind to them so far in the finals. They were outscored in game one in quarter number two by four, 27-23. Game two, they were outscored by 14, 30-16. 
So the Suns, on average, through the first two games of the series, were winning the second quarter by an average of nine points, and the Bucks' offense had really struggled in the second quarter. Last night, they won the second quarter 35-17. to All of those dejecting, frustrating, crazy, disheartening plays, they stopped. CP3 only took four shots in the second quarter. Four points, that was it. In fact, Phoenix only had 19 field goal attempts compared to Milwaukee's 28. So Chris Paul wasn't shooting as much. The Suns just weren't shooting as much because the Bucks' defense started to fly around in the second quarter. They forced turnovers, of which the Suns had five. Milwaukee had zero really clean second quarter. They started dominating points in the paint because they got eight in foul trouble. They had 22 paint points in the second quarter to Phoenix's six. So everything started to come together and swirl around in that second quarter where the Bucks are flying up and down the floor. They're getting turnovers, they're blocking shots, they're getting steals, they're getting fast break points, they're pouring it in in the paint. They started shooting well from outside as well. And it's that combination of factors that all came together that second quarter, and they closed the first half on a 30-9 to run. And I think that second quarter is a bit of a harbinger for what came the rest of the game because that second quarter frustrated the Suns for the first time all series. Phoenix has been so comfortable up until this point. Like, yeah, the Bucs had gone on runs, but Phoenix was confident. They were cool, calm, collected, comfortable. Second quarter was the first time all series so far, albeit only through two and a half games at the time, that the Suns were frustrated, that they were rattled a little bit, that they were out of their comfort zone. And that was huge. That quarter frustrated the Suns. That second quarter also provided a blueprint for the Bucs on how to attack in the second half. And you saw it. You saw the light click on for Drew Holiday and for Chris Middleton and Giannis and Bobby Portis. And that light clicking on for all these different players, it manifested in different ways. It's not like every Bucks player went off for 20 points in the second half. But you saw that every player came out of the locker room at halftime. They're like, okay, you know what? I got a pretty good idea on how we're going to go about this. Got a little bit of confidence. We knocked the, the Suns off a pedestal a little bit. We got some momentum. Here we go. We're feeling good. They came out of halftime with that confidence and kind of with an idea on how to go about the second half and how to attack Phoenix. And you saw it. You saw it with Drew Holiday, who had 12 points in the third quarter. He was confident. There was this play on a fast break where Drew Holiday's got it, passes behind the back to Chris Middleton, who then passes back to Drew Holiday, who then is under the bucket, underhands it back to Bobby Portis, who goes up and slams it with the right hand in transition. And it's those plays, like, that was worth two points, But at home, with the crowd in the finals, it's almost like a play like that is worth more than two points. It's weighted a little bit. Because it gets the energy going. It extends the Bucs run. It gets the fans into it. It dejects the Suns further. Plays like that where Drew Holiday's going behind the back. He came out of halftime after that successful second quarter. A little more confidence. Confidence that hadn't really been there for the first two games because he's been so bad. Bobby Portis came out of the locker room feeling it too. Eight of his 11 points came in the third quarter. When he was kind of playing center, but not really, they were playing the small ball five lineup where Giannis is the center. Now, Bobby Portis is 6'10", and I guess would technically be the center, but he wasn't. He was the center in name, not in practice, not in role, because Giannis was playing the center. And you saw as Giannis was playing center, he went into smash mode. Completely, totally looking to abuse and use and smash and grab every loose ball, every rebound, every dunk, getting to the line, playing through contact. I get 18 points in the first half. He had 16 points in the third quarter. This light switch flipped on at halftime. All of these players, Giannis, Drew Holiday, Bobby, Chris Middleton, who didn't have an amazing game but did some really good things. After that second quarter, they thought, okay, uh, we have some ideas now. We have some confidence now. And we, we've kind of put Phoenix on their back foot a little bit. And now we go. 
And you saw that manifest in the third quarter. And we got to talk about Giannis. I just mentioned that he had 18 points in the first half, which is outstanding. He had 16 points alone in the third quarter. Another 40-point game for Giannis last night. We, we got to talk about Giannis. This man is on the warpath. And I, I guess I don't even really know what to say about it because I've watched Giannis since he was a rookie, as I'm sure lots of you have as well. Maybe you've joined Bucks fandom somewhere in between Giannis's rookie year in 2013 and now because you saw the potential. They had the, the own the future type thing, and then the future is now, and then they got the new arena. Maybe at some point over the last decade or a little bit less than a decade, you've hopped into Bucks fandom. And, that, and that's fine. Wherever you jumped aboard, wherever you became a part of this thing, you, you understand. We've watched Giannis develop and add parts to his game. He won most improved, and then he won MVP, and then he won MVP again, and he also won Defensive Player of the Year, and he was an All-Star. Then he was an All-Star starter. Then he's first-team All-NBA. He's picking up these accolades. He's getting better and better, and we're watching it. We have a front-row seat as Bucks fans because we don't just watch him on national TV and in the postseason. You know, we're watching Tuesday night games against the Hornets on Fox Sports Wisconsin, and then, of course, now it's Bally Sports Wisconsin. No one... No one is cheering for Giannis more than we are. No one is watching to such a a bit of detail, and no one's cheering for him like we are. But even I'm speechless because I I knew Giannis was going to be a great player, a top-five player in this league, a top-ten player in this league. He's gotten better and better, but he's won back-to-back MVPs, for God's sake. But this is next-level stuff, and I guess I just want to make sure we're all appreciating it. I didn't get a chance to listen to Bill Michaels and what he was saying today. I don't know how much time he spent on this. I don't mean to hit you over the head repeatedly with these stats. But in game two of the series, he goes 42, 12, and three. Three blocks, not assists. Game three last night, he goes 41, 13, and six. Giannis could have had 50 last night. Like, it's just, no one was touching him. No, it didn't matter. So 42, 41. He has 40-point games in back-to-back NBA Finals games. Kevin Durant has one 40-point game in his career in the NBA Finals. Kobe one 40-point game. Curry, one 40-point game. But here's the thing. Kevin Durant has played 15 NBA Finals games. Kobe's played 37. Steph Curry's played 28. Giannis has played three, and they've all been on a bum knee. 40 points, 10 rebounds in back-to-back Finals games. That's only been done once before, and it was by Shaq in 2000. ESPN also put LeBron on the graphic last night. That was cap. That wasn't true. LeBron did not have back-to-back 40-point, 10-rebound games in 2016, which is so easily researchable. You don't need to subscribe to any database. You don't need a, a team of numbers nerds to dig that up for you. Just go to basketball reference, for God's sakes. Just just interesting that ESPN erroneously included LeBron in that last night. Well, actually, LeBron didn't have 40 and 10 in back-to-back finals games. That's Shaq, and that's Giannis. And that's absolutely it. This is historical stuff. Giannis is playing historically great. And you can compare him to all-time players like Shaq or Kareem or MJ, who did it in four straight games, conveniently also against the Suns in the 90s. He's been historically great. Great in the context of his contemporaries and other all-time great, especially physically dominant players. Guys like LeBron, Shaq, Wilt, Kareem, who could just kind of impose their will. They're bigger, stronger, better. Try to stop me. Bet you can't. Giannis kind of falls in that mode as well. He's historically great in the context of all of these great players, Pantheon players. He's also been historically great in this series. In game one, he was plus one in 35 minutes. In game two, he was plus three in 40 minutes. Last night, he was plus 20 in 37 minutes. He's plus 10 per 100 possessions over the course of the series. When he's on the floor, the Bucs are better than the Suns. Now, they haven't won all these games. It's very reminiscent of LeBron. 
when he leaves the floor, things go to hell. When he's on the floor, they're the better team. Giannis is putting together a LeBron-like finals. LeBron really the only player in the last decade who's stacking 40-point NBA finals games. We haven't seen anything like this since Shaq 21 years ago. And it's funny because three weeks ago, I'm trying to compare Chris Middleton and Giannis to Shaq and Kobe. Not by, you know, historical ranking. Kobe's one of the best of all time, as is Shaq. And I think Giannis will end up there. Middleton's not quite there, so I, I get the pushback. But when I compare Shaq and Giannis, it's through role. It's through the type of player they are. And you're like, oh, you can't possibly compare Giannis to Shaq. You can't possibly compare Chris Middleton to Kobe. Okay, set Kobe and Chris Middleton to the side. And I think now we have an extra reverence for Kobe because he's passed away and he was a Laker and he won all those rings. Do you understand what what Giannis is doing? Like, I just want to make sure we're historically appreciating this. Back-to-back MVPs, defensive player of the year, most improved player. He's stacking up all-stars and all-pros. He's putting up historical numbers. If he wins this title, he's a Pantheon player. We don't just see this year in and year out. Oh, yeah, and he's also doing all this off an injury, which we're going to talk a little bit about coming up next. It's just jaw-dropping stuff. I've been watching Giannis. I've been cheering for him forever. I didn't think he had this in him. It's not that I doubted it, but there's very few players that have actually done this. There's like five or six players over the course of NBA history who have imposed their will in a finals like this. Pretty cool that one of them now is playing for us currently in Milwaukee. Coming up next, I want to hear from Giannis a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about that injury, including a comment he made to Malika Andrews before the game, which kind of made me just, just laugh a little bit. And coming up at 435, I want to use these first three games to maybe try to forecast where this finals goes next. It's hard to tell, but maybe we can take our best crack at it. All that coming up. Some Brewers talk before 6 o'clock as well. The Wisco Sports Show, back after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show rolling on my name grant bills hope you had a swell weekend 608-796-2558 i just got off the horn with kent who called over the break who's a fan of the show first he asked me how my wedding was this last week and kent i appreciate that personal touch the wedding was swell he also wants to pass along and kent you're gonna get credit for the scoop if it turns out to be true said he heard today aaron Rodgers is giving it a couple of weeks and he'll be back okay packers fans are seeming a little bit more confident kent's just calling a shot so I appreciate your call, Kent. We'll probably get into more Aaron Rodgers stuff, kind of tuck it in as the week goes along. With the NBA Finals going on, that's going to monopolize a lot of our time, even with the All-Star break. So no Brewers games. We'll have a little bit more time. So I'm thinking working a little bit of Aaron Rodgers stuff this week. Just a tiny bit here and there. A sprinkle. Just a modicum of Rodgers talk here and there. Appreciate the call, Kent. 608-796-2558. You can also text on that same number. As Mitch and Madison says, Bucks and six, let's go. Mitch, I am with you. Brett is letting us know Bill wasn't on today. He's on vacation all week. So he had Ebo. Bill's on vacation? Shows you what I know. The the decision makers in this company, they don't they don't tell me anything. They let Ebo know. Dan Casper, Dave Carney, the morning show. The morning shows get all the love. They get all the love. I, I'm just I'm out in the rain. Although if I would have tuned in for like 30 seconds today, I've I would have heard Ebo's voice, so that's that's my bad. This text comes in. I apologize. I don't have your name. So if you want to follow up with your name, I can give you some love. Or you can remain anonymous. That's up to you. He says, hey, Grant, I love spending time talking about Giannis, and I love that you're spending time talking about Giannis. He deserves all the attention. The only other player in the NBA history to score more than two 40-point finals games in the finals is Michael Jordan. 
And then you follow it up and says, hey, Grant, my last text was wrong. Sorry. Yeah, historically, it just depends on what constraints you put, right? If it's multiple 40-point games and one finals, that's one thing. If it's multiple 40-point, 10-rebound games, then that changes. So the constraints change. Whether, you know, we're getting into the details or not, like Giannis is doing historically great things. Uh, Geo Texan says a dash of Aaron Rodgers content oh, would be nice. Thank you, G. We'll work into to sprinkle some, just a dash, just a handful here and there throughout the week, I believe. Bucks won last night 120 to 100. Just They kicked the door open. Right now they have an opportunity to tie it up in game four. And if they don't win game four, they go down 3-1. The, the series is essentially over. So these home games are, are must-wins. They're not elimination games, but they're both must-wins because you can't go down 0-3. You can't go down 3-1. The Bucks need to keep it going. A couple of sound bites from Giannis yesterday that jumped out to me. I'm not going to play you a full press conference. Our time together is much too valuable to listen to entire press conferences. But two things that jumped out to me, one from the post, one from the pre. This jumped out to me from after the game. Eric Name asked Giannis to talk about all the traffic down low because Giannis last night eating in the paint. He also got to the free throw line making 13 of 17 of his free throws. So he was eating underneath. Nobody could stop him. Nobody could hold him down, playing through the contact, a lot of double teams, right? And it's clear that the Suns wanted to beat Giannis up, force him to take free throws. And Eric Name asked about that and, and how Giannis approaches that there's so much traffic in there but hey i gotta you know keep the ball high make the right play i feel like in the previous game game two there was so much traffic i was you know able to make the corner pass to our guys or make the right pass you know guys you know but now being at home you know you feel have a little bit more confidence your legs feel a little bit better you can finish some of those plays but there's there's a lot of traffic in there we got to keep you know making the right play uh and uh sometimes it's gonna be there sometimes it's not gonna be there if it's not there that means somebody's somebody's open Giannis has always been physically dominant if you've watched Giannis for a month if you've watched him for two years if you've watched him since a rookie he's always been big long strong beat you up almost like a tight end playing basketball. He hasn't always been super skilled. He's gotten better, and he's added little tricks to how he plays offense, you know, a little post-game. He's worked on his footwork, worked on his touch. But at the root of his game has always been physicality and strength. and, and very, It's why we always compare him to Shaq. It's just, try to stop me. You can't. I'm going to bowl you over. Yeah, I'll pick up a charge here and there. Who cares? Because I'm going to throw you into the front row of the stands in the process. If you want to jump in front of me and try to take a charge, okay, but it's going to hurt, so buckle up. Right? And you can live with some of those charges here and there when you're scoring 40-plus points in the NBA Finals. He's always been physically dominant, but his feel has gotten so much better in recent years and in recent weeks. You can almost see him improving series by series as this postseason has gone along. I think a light went on for him in Game 7 against Brooklyn. And we talked about this a little bit at the time, but in that fourth quarter and, and overtime, Game 7 in Brooklyn, Giannis got really good at picking his spots, avoiding going to the free throw line when necessary. I don't think he's ever afraid of going to the line. He probably should be more afraid of going to the line. But he's been been more selective. That fourth quarter in Brooklyn, game seven, he had seven points on three of four shooting. Took the shots that were there, didn't force the ones that weren't. He looked for Drew and Chris Middleton, who had 11. Drew Holiday had nine. Both were really efficient, four of seven, three of five in that fourth quarter. Giannis was just in control. And then in overtime, he had a game-tying bucket. He understood when not to force his shot and when to look elsewhere. His feel is just getting better and better and better, not just year by year, but series by series. And his feel was on display last night. And sometimes feel is just realizing, uh, they can't stop me and I'm going to smash them. It's not about passing. It's maybe not about getting others involved. Maybe 
feel is about realizing that no one on the other team can check you and you're going to go for 40. And that light came on for Giannis last night, and I hope it continues to be that way, at least when appropriate, when the buckets are there for him to be aggressive and call for the ball, as he did aggressively in the second half last night, the third quarter. And I haven't seen that from Giannis before. I like that. The most interesting and I think scary comment from Giannis came in the pregame when he was talking to Malika Andrews of ESPN, who's been really, really good, by the way. I heard this comment about his knee, and I thought, yeah, uh, good luck to the Phoenix Suns. I know that you don't want to talk about your knee. Your knee's in the past, but you said that you didn't go back and watch that clip. You're a student of film as long as I've known you. Why did you make that decision? You know, if something happens on the court, you start making this because, oh, it's my, you know, it's my knee, and I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, telling myself, you know, I don't feel pain. You know, like if you keep telling yourself you're healthy and strong, you're going to be healthy and strong. I kind of lived that in the past. I'm just worrying about what I can do right now to make my body feel good and what I can do right now to help my team win. That's all I can you know, keep worrying about. I've always told myself that if I think I'm healthy and strong, then I'm going to be healthy and strong. Jeez. It's like when Scott Tolzien once said that cold is a state of mind, which I, like, I don't think is true. Like, I think you should probably wear some long sleeve clothing, some pants when you're playing in the snow, and just don't be a terrible quarterback, Scott Tolzien. Like, the idea was there. Tolzien was a pioneer on this. Like, if I tell myself I'm not cold, then I won't be cold. Okay, maybe you won't be cold, but you'll still be a terrible NFL quarterback. Giannis is seemingly tapped into something else where his mind is bigger than anything else. I tell myself that I'm not hurt, I won't be hurt. I tell myself that I'm not in pain, I won't be in pain. I'm just like, jeez. Good luck to the Phoenix Suns. Because if they're going to beat the Bucks, they might have to deal with 40 points, 40 points, 40 points, 15 rebounds, and assists and blocks from Giannis every single day of this finals. And if they can overcome that, great. Then they deserve to win the title. But I don't think Giannis is quite done yet, and I don't think the Bucks are done trying to come back and win this finals. Very similar to the series in Brooklyn. Let's take a break. I want to talk about what I have coined variance stats. I don't know if Other people have referred to them as this. I'm talking about three-point shooting, free-throw shooting, things that are just kind of based on luck and chance and officiating. Have the Bucs and the Suns won and lost games in this final so far? Just just variant stats. Just good or bad luck. I I tried to do a deep dive into this. I don't know. And maybe that's something we can figure out together. Coming up next, more of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills. On the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name Grant Bills on Twitter at Wisco Grant. The talk and text line 608-796-2558. Geo texts in and says, great job, Bucks. Oh, that's Binks. Sorry, Binks, get to you in a sec. Gio says, uh, much like pain, fear is all a mindset. Giannis has a championship mentality and is the ultimate leader. Seen some things from this postseason that I just haven't seen from Giannis in the past. He was banging the chair in one of the games. I mean, just scoring 40 in back-to-back games. I've never seen that in my life other than LeBron in 2016. And then calling for the ball aggressively last night in the second half. He's like, hey, no one can stop me. Get me the rock. I like this. I like what I'm seeing from Giannis. I haven't seen some of these things in a while. Bink says, great job, Bucks. Worried about Yelich. Five home runs at the break. Yeah, we're going to talk Brewers in an hour. Our big Brewers segment of the day. I actually, I'm very excited. The Bucks won an NBA Finals game last night. And today's show is mostly Bucks, but I'm 
jacked for our Brewers conversation at 5.30. Talk a little bit about that with Yelich. Baseball talk as a whole, kind of uh, thoughts on the All-Star break this week. That's coming up in 10 minutes just because we got to take a break from basketball for a couple minutes here and there tonight. Binks, I'm with you, though. I I was on this a few weeks ago. I think at one point I made a comment that Yelich looks a lot more like Jason Kendall than MVP Christian Yelich. Like, we're hoping for singles and walks. That's not where I want to be with my MVP and the player that the Brewers just locked up to a very expensive, very long-term deal. We'll see. We'll see. We're only at the break. We're off a weird COVID year. Everybody's getting hurt, so I'm not going to lose my mind. Not this week, at least. Not during the NBA Finals. There's a saying about the NBA, and I think it's a saying that the NFL and Major League Baseball doesn't have. People say about basketball. It's a make-or-miss league, right? I don't think there's a catchphrase for the NFL or Major League Baseball. Maybe it's a game of inches, but I, I don't know. I don't think so. Not quite sure. I'll think more about that. Maybe something will come to mind. Make or miss league, right? Most of the time, the team that hits their shots wins the game, especially nowadays with three-point shooting, right? Teams take so many. Team that hits more of them is often going to win. Sometimes the analytics crowd is a bit too strong with it. They just think that, oh, whoever shoots better, that's who wins. Duh. It's like, well, there's there's a little bit more to it. I don't want to be that hyperbolic where it's just like, oh, team hit more threes. Of course they won. What are you going to do? Well, there's things you can do. There's adjustments. There's substitutions. You can tweak defensive strategies, offensive strategies. It's not just about who shoots better, but that's a huge part of it. It's a make or miss league. And it's interesting how this logic is applied sometimes. It kind of depends on the team. You ever notice if the Bucks lose a game, Coach Bud is an idiot. It's a dumb team. Dumb, dumbest team I've ever watched. Greek freak. More like Greek cheeks. Nasty, mean. And then the Bucks win. Well, the Suns shot poorly. All right, Bucks shot the lights out from three. That won't happen again. Okay, maybe. Maybe not. We're talking about variance stats. Stats that are based on luck. Not necessarily controllable by players or coaches. Right, whether it be shooting or officiating. Sometimes, how many times you get to the free throw line, this is luck of the whistle. You're home or away, it just depends on the night. Three-point shooting, you can get all the wide-open looks in the world. You can scheme up good offense, but if the shooters don't hit them, eh, what are you going to do? Variant stats. Stats that are, for the most part, out of the control of coaches or players. Just left up to chance. It's part of basketball. It's the fun part of basketball. It's the part that drives you mad. And I thought, let's look at some of these variant statistics before we speak in generalities about this game. Because a lot of people will watch a game like this, ah, Suns shot like dump. They'll be better next game. Well, maybe, maybe not. Did they actually shoot like dump? Let's look a little bit closer if we're going to speak in these sweeping generalities and make comments and, and make distinctions about these games. The Suns in the regular season were a 37.8% team from three. In the postseason, slightly worse, 37.5%, which is a marginal difference. Let's just call it 37.5% three-point shooting team is rounded up, say, 38. Easy enough. The Bucks shot 38.9% in the regular season. So far, 32% in the postseason, which has been a trend the last couple of years. They take a big dip in the playoffs. I don't know why. Let's say a 39% team in the regular season, just over 30% in the postseason. Those are our baselines. Those are our averages. So if we're above or below those averages, then we can talk about progressing or regressing to the mean. A bad performance, then the next game might turn into a good one or vice versa. Game one of this series. Suns shot 32% from three. Bucks shot 44%. Lost anyways. So if you're part of the crowd, oh, the team that shoots better always wins. Not the case. Example number one, game one of this NBA Finals. Game two, Suns shoot 50%. They go scorched earth. They hit 20 of 40. And the Bucks shot 29%. So in the first two games, each team had an outlier both ways. And the Suns won both games. Okay? 
So shooting percentages aren't 100% indicative all the time. It's a big factor, but it's not everything. Right? Then in game three, the Suns shoot 29% from three. And everybody says, ah, outlier game, won't happen again. Well, nobody said that about the Bucs, and they shot 29% in game two, right? But then again, the Bucs are the team, if they lose, oh, Coach Bud is an idiot. And Giannis can't hit free throws and threes, even though there's lots of players who can't hit free throws and threes. It couldn't possibly be related to shooting numbers. It's the Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, they're a stupid team. So it kind of depends on which team loses and, and how we look and how we apply these law of averages to these teams when they win and they lose. I'm not willing to chalk this Bucks win up to variant stats. And I know the numbers bear it out. In game three, the Suns shot 29%, which is below their average. The Bucks shot their average on the button. I'm not going to apologize for winning a game shooting an average. An average that really isn't that good. 39% is not otherworldly. I'm not willing to chalk this Bucks up loss to variant stats. And I could be biased as a Bucks fan. I, I want to make more of this win than just a good shooting night. And I think shot quality is important. You talk about the Suns going from 50% last game to 29% in this game. I think shot quality matters. The Suns took 17 corner threes in game two, a game where they made 20 of 40 of their three-point attempts. Those corner threes are their bread and butter. They look for those shots. They scheme those shots open. They're always conscientious about finding those shots. Game three, they only took three. Okay, well, the three-point shooting numbers dipped, but so did their shot quality. They were forced to take three-point shots that they weren't they aren't really in love with, not really their bread and butter. The Bucks, I think, played a role in that. They picked up the Suns' ball handlers three-quarter court. So instead of getting into their offensive sets with 18 seconds on the shot clock, maybe there's 14 seconds, which is a huge difference. Aiton also got into foul trouble, which takes away their roll threat, which allows the defense to stay a little bit more spaced, which assists in taking away those corner threes, those corner threes that the Suns love so much. That plays a role. If we're going to talk about how the three-point percentage dipped from game three or game two to game three, we got to talk about shot quality as well. And I think the Bucks' defense played a big role in that. Now, Aiton being in foul trouble also played a role. That's what I want to talk about next. Maybe you can chalk up Aiton being in foul trouble to getting a tough whistle. They're on the road in game three. Ah, that's bad luck. That won't happen again. Ah. Maybe. Maybe you could. But I also think there is an argument to be made that Giannis is only getting stronger day by day after hyperextending his knee, had a couple of days rest coming into game three, which had to make a difference, and he's just looking to punish. He's looking to use and abuse anybody in front of him in the paint, DeAndre Ayton included. He's taking anybody down there to pity city, and DeAndre Ayton is the only one who's shown a shred of competence in defending him, and still, Giannis in game one is just bodying Ayton out of the way. Like like he's a piece of, like 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 he's a closet door, Right, you got your laundry basket, you're taking it up to put clothes away, and you got to use your elbow to, to throw the door open. Giannis just like, poof, slide him out, move him out, just days after hyperextending his knee. So Aiton hasn't been a world beater defending Giannis either. They get him in foul trouble, and they're really screwed because they got to play Kaminsky or they got to play Cam Johnson and go small. And then Giannis is really going to eat as he did in the third quarter. What did he have, 16 in the third quarter? The Aiton numbers are wild. And maybe this is the most important statistical takeaway from last night's game. I didn't think at the beginning of the year that we would be in an NBA Finals that included the Bucks and the Suns, and I didn't think that the most important factor in a Bucks suns Finals would be how many minutes DeAndre Ayton plays. DeAndre Ayton, of all people, who is best known coming into this year for being the guy that they took in front of uh, Marvin Bagley, who is obviously the best player in that draft. No, better than Luka Doncic and Trey Young. Marvin Bagley sucks. RIP to my Kings. Tortured franchise. The DeAndre Ayton numbers are wild. 
through three games, there have been 86 minutes with both Giannis and Aiton on the floor. And in those minutes, Milwaukee is plus three. So the Bucks are slightly better when Aiton and Giannis are on the floor, but not by much. They've just been better overall with Giannis on the floor. But in minutes with Giannis on the floor and without DeAndre Aiden, of which there were plenty last night, the Bucks are plus 21. They've grabbed 61% of available rebounds, and the difference in points per possessions is nuts. The Bucks are an otherworldly 135 points per 100 possessions with Aiton on the floor or with Giannis and without Aiton. So when the Suns don't have Aiton, they don't have a prayer. They hardly have a prayer with Aiton on the floor because Giannis has been beating him up anyways. And to wrap this up, I don't know if, DeAndre Ayton getting in foul trouble and being off the court last night. I don't know if that's an outlier. I don't know if that's just good officiating luck for the Bucs. Or, or maybe it's the Bucs discovering something. Realizing that we need to go at him. We need to attack him. We need to try to beat him up as much as possible and force him to defend or get out of the way. And we need to get him on the bench. Because as soon as DeAndre Ayton goes to the bench, it's either Frank Kaminsky, who can't stop anyone. I love him. He's a former Badger, but not good. He was minus seven. He was out there for a couple of minutes in the first half, and the Bucs just beat that. They, they just went on a run. Or you go small, and Cam Johnson had a pretty good night last night, but defensively, you don't have a hope and a prayer. And if you're playing a Pfizer form where the Bucs are going to shoot better, which they did last night, the slight offensive bump that Cam Johnson gave you last night was insignificant in the points that Giannis was just hemorrhaging play after play after play after play. I don't know if DeAndre Ayton's absence last night was an outlier, or maybe, just maybe, and this is my positive Bucks spin, Maybe that's the Bucks discovering something and saying, you know what, if we attack this guy and we go about it the right way, this is a completely different series. A completely different series. I hope it's the latter, not the former. I hope it's not a variant stat and it's an adjustment thing. Only time will tell as we go to game four on Wednesday. Got a couple of days off, so hopefully Giannis gets even stronger. And that Aiton disparity becomes even stronger as Giannis becomes even stronger. Let's take a break. I want to get into baseball for just a few minutes. Bucks fans, I know it's the finals. We'll get back to the Bucks right after 5 o'clock, but I got something to say because it's All-Star Week, and I think something happened today that I just I want to talk about. We'll talk about the Brewers at 5.30, so it'll be a nice hodgepodge of topics moving forward, especially if you're not all in on the NBA nerdy stuff as we've been doing for the first 45 minutes. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Final couple of minutes to chat before we break at 5 o'clock. We'll hear the dulcet tones of our fine reporter, Zach Heilprin of the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. An update coming up in a few minutes. Also get back into the Bucks right after 5 o'clock. Our big Brewers chat for the day is going to be 5.30. Our big Brewers take. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm amped about the NBA Finals as much as anyone. I feel like I've consumed and read and listened and written more basketball content in the last couple of weeks than I ever have in my life. And I love it. But I understand that's not for everybody. And I, I love talking about baseball. I hate it. I hate it when sports radio people complain. It's like, oh, we're gonna have to talk about baseball now for a couple months. What's wrong with baseball? Sign me up. If you, if you're a one trick pony as a sports radio host, get out of here. If you can only talk about football, only talk about basketball, poof. not on this show. No, I love talking about the Brewers. So we're gonna make some time. Our big Brewers take of the day is coming up at five thirty. Next topic is something that's like kind of important to me. Like this is something I always get fired up about. 
and it's like mostly criticism of other people that work in sports media, and it drives me nuts. I hate it when sports media people play dumb. It just drives me nuts. When we play dumb for the sake of a segment or for a take, the Kobe Shaq thing to Giannis and Chris Middleton thing is, is, this is a perfect example. I was watching First Things First because I like Nick Wright. I can't stand anyone else on the show. Well, Kevin Wilds is okay. But I like Nick Wright, who is in for Cowherd today, so doing solo. I love him doing solo because he's a great solo host. I hate when I have to listen to him with Brandon Marshall and a bunch of other knuckleheads like Chris Broussard. Anyways, a couple of weeks ago, Nick Wright's doing this piece, this segment on First Things First about how Giannis and Chris Middleton best compare to Shaq and Kobe and all the statistics and how they line up from their first run in the 2000 finals to this year. And Chris Broussard, who has covered the NBA for his entire career, connected, respected, like he's not an idiot. And, and he loses his mind. He's like, oh, Nick is comparing Giannis and Chris Middleton to Shaq and Kobe. I can't believe it. Would you shut up? You know that's not what he's doing. We're talking about role and fit and the, the first finals run ever for both of these pairings. Why do you play stupid? You know that's not what he's doing. It's not even an entertaining. Oh, Chris is mad because Nick made a comparison. Like, no, I'm not even, it's not even entertaining. Just shut up. Let Nick talk. I hate it when sports media people play dumb. Today... Stephen A. Smith comes out, I guess, on first take. I saw it on Twitter and had some comments about Shohei Otani and baseball and how nobody's watching baseball and he's being an idiot. But when you talk about an audience gravitating to the two or to the ballpark to actually watch you, okay, I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what the hell he's saying in this country. Okay. First, there's two there's two angles here. The one angle that I'm not going to address is the the racist, xenophobic part of this, where I guess we can't handle a superstar player that doesn't clearly speak our language in a sport where there's so many languages. Well, mostly Spanish, but we've always had foreign players in baseball. And like I remembered as a little kid, I'd watch Carlos Gomez or even you know farther back before then, I'd I'd become familiar with these guys' faces, and then I'd hear them in interviews. It's like, whoa, they can you know they can barely speak English. They have such a heavy you know, not a Spanish accent, but you can tell that Spanish is their native language, which is surprising at first. It's like, oh, Carlos Gomez doesn't look like he would sound like that. And maybe that's my brain trying to Americanize him as a member of the Brewers when I was younger. I don't know. But baseball's never been a predominantly English sport. There's always been different languages. So I guess I don't really know what Stephen A's getting at. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to call him racist for this. I just think it was a stupid take, which he could not have explained in a worse way. What annoys me about this is that he's playing dumb about ratings and interest in baseball. Well, no one's watching baseball because the best player doesn't speak English. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I'm not even going to address that it's, I think, wildly insensitive. I'm not going to call you racist. I think it's xenophobic and it's very ethnocentric. I don't know about racist and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, we don't want we don't need to talk about that. This bothers me because he's playing dumb, right? Baseball, we're all like, what's wrong with baseball? There's certain truths with baseball that we just tend to ignore and we play dumb because we want to talk about how Otani is Japanese, I guess. I don't know why I, I wouldn't leave SportsCenter with that, but to each his own, to Steve Smith, Steve A. Smith. <laughs> Baseball is regional. Most fans watch their teams or listen to their teams on the radio, and that's it. It's not like the NFL where I'm watching every game all the time or Major League Baseball when I'm coming home in the middle of winter with nothing else to do but watch three basketball games a night on League Pass. Nobody does that with baseball. Well, so I shouldn't say nobody. Some people do, but those people are the minority, right? Most people, their baseball fandom exists for their team and their team only. Okay, well, we know the teams in our division, and we know certain teams through matchups, but I'm not tuning in a couple nights a week to watch the Giants 
play the Padres in San Francisco. It's just not how it works. This is a different sport in that way. It's also July. People are taking trips. They're going outside. They're doing things, especially after being stuck inside for all of 2020. Of course, the ratings aren't sparkling. We're free for the first time in a year to kind of go do what we want. We're going to go do what we want. We're going to take road trips. We're going to go to barbecues. We're going to do other things. Maybe not sit inside and watch the Baltimore Orioles play the Angels at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday night. And for, for whatever reason, we never mention that. Oh, the NBA ratings are down. Maybe it's because people are doing things. I, I, it's probably not for political reasons. It's, hey, uh, I'm driving to Mount Rushmore with the kids. Sorry, I'm not watching the Bucks game. I'm a Pacers fan, and I'm going to Mount Rushmore. Okay, but we play dumb. Oh, it's, it's woke. Yeah, it's the woke culture, sure. And not everyone loves baseball. I think we also have to understand that. Not everybody watches and listens to baseball every day. Some people follow from a distance. It's not that baseball isn't accessible. It's never been more accessible. You can watch on ESPN. There's multiple games a week if you want your national coverage. You can watch on your, your RSNs, your regional sports networks. Sunday Night Baseball is a great showcase to try to watch other teams every Sunday, although nobody's watching. It's not appointment viewing like Sunday Night Football. It's never been more accessible, and if you spend three minutes looking for an illegal stream, you can easily find one. Don't ask me. That's just, I've heard that from other people. I don't, I don't use illegal streams. That's illegal. Why we would ever try to argue that baseball is down because the face of the league doesn't speak English it's ethnocentric and xenophobic. We don't need to talk about that. It's just plain stupid. And can we please get past the point where sports talkers and radio people and TV people play dumb because they think it's interesting? Like, baseball viewership is down for all the reasons that I just mentioned. It's not down. It's, it's baseball. It's always been the reality with baseball. But no, Shohei Otani needs a translator. And I just, eh, I can't. I can't connect with him. So I'm not going to watch. Shut up. Oh, baseball has always been multilingual. Always. Always, always, always. Shohei Otani's awesome. I've never even seen, never even heard him speak. I'll watch games. I'm not sitting down and watching press conferences. It's not tainting my baseball viewership, but yeah, let's play dumb to try to make a point that doesn't make any sense. Instead of just look for the simple and explainable truth, we'll try to take the outlandish explanation. Occam's Razor, it's just typically the most simple explanation. Sorry, me and the kids are going to Mount Rushmore. I'm not watching the Padres play tonight. So It's so stupid. It's so, so stupid. Let's take a break. I want to get back into basketball because the NBA Finals are this week, and that's what I want to spend most of our time on. Giannis was amazing. The Bucks were amazing last night. Let's discuss that. Wisco Sports Show back in two minutes. Sports show. My name Grant Bill celebrating the Bucks winning last night and Giannis doing I'd say doing Giannis things, but I didn't know Giannis had this in him. He's reached another gear, he's reached another level. I was perusing Twitter at Wisco Grant, you can find me on Twitter over the break. And I listened to a little bit of Bill Simmons pod with Kevin O'Connor earlier today. I listen to every podcast after these Bucks games. I'm just trying to soak it all in. Kevin O'Connor, who I love reading, his pod is awesome. Thinks this is the best Giannis has ever played, has ever looked. I think that's for a myriad of reasons, some of which we talked about, some of which we'll save for tomorrow. We can do more Giannis love tomorrow. This is peak Giannis. This is the best he's ever been. And I love him and believe him him as much as anyone. And I didn't know or think he had this in him. I'm going to be honest. And I love that he does. I love that we're getting this. 608-796-2558, the talking text line. Brenda in Madison. Brenda, did you have a good weekend? How are you? 
Um, well, it was an okay weekend. Um, the Bucks winning was awesome. And I was like you that first quarter. I was like, oh, God, here we go again. Yeah. And then I was all of a sudden it was like partway through the second quarter. All of a sudden it was like the lights went on and exploded over all their heads. And then they became men on a mission. And it was like a tale of, it was after the first quarter. It was like a completely different ball game. I was like, yeah, now that now that's what I'm talking about. Where has that been all series? <laughs> that's what we were waiting for. And, I, like, I know you're a big Brewers fan, right. too. It was the opposite of what the Brewers did this weekend. We're going to talk about the Brewers uh, in about 10 minutes. That was gross. Okay, here, 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 here's my two cents on the Brewers. The offense stunk, yes, but I have never cussed at an officiating team <laughs> like I did over this weekend. My mom, who's 76 years old, had to yell at me to watch my language because I was literally cussing and swearing at the officiating crew. Like, you can usually get an okay call, like a bad call here and there, but it was bad calls all over the place. I mean, it was just ugly. I was like, do you guys, are you guys watching the same ball I'm watching? Yeah, it was. Well, and it was so bad. They was, they made errors in every possible way they could. It wasn't just ball strikes. It wasn't just reviews. It wasn't just ejections. The whole thing sucked. I hate it. We're going to talk about that coming up next. Brenda, before I let you go, I got to ask. I, For whatever reason, I can just picture you swearing like an absolute sailor, just like using swears that I've never even heard of before. Am I right or wrong in that in that guess? Am I picturing it correctly? Um, I can have my moments, and definitely with this officiating <laughs> crew, I have my moments. But usually, I mean, I've got kids. I mean, granted, they're teenagers, older teenagers now. But, I mean, I do watch my language, and I have to watch my language in my job. So, you know, I don't, but I do have that potential. I like that. I like that. So you can step up when, when need be. All right. I, I like I like learning something about a caller every time I talk to them. So this is enlightening, Brenda. Right. Thank you. I got I to gotta be pretty darn pissed off to, <laughs> like, <go>. really <laughs> – and swear like that and believe me like friday was really bad and then that game on saturday was just terrible was i was like oh my yeah i was like you didn't learn anything from friday night how to watch the ball yeah i mean when you what like i told evo this morning when two star players and a manager all get kicked out in one game yeah because they're yelling at the officiating crew not like they're not angry with other players they're it's the officiating crew. They're not going after each other because, you know, like, oh, somebody got hit by a pitch and they'll go after each other and get ejected or whatever. No, it wasn't any of that. It was the officiating crew that they were upset with, and rightfully so. Yeah. Both calls were bad. The Joey Votto was... check swing was bad. The Yelich, he didn't turn. He, pay, he he straightened up. He paid attention, but he didn't turn to second. Yeah, and the refs got, the, the umps got a little he, sensitive. He turned, he turned his head. He never went off the baseline. He turned his head towards second base. And that was the extent of it. Like, and maybe his toe, his his left toe, maybe he angled a little bit, but he did not turn off the baseline at all. We're gonna so, go. Yeah, with the I umps. don't know what they were smoking. Yeah, we're gonna go with the umps here in about ten minutes, Brenda. I gotta, I gotta clarify something on the Bucks real quick, and then we'll be on to the Brewers. I appreciate the call. Thank you for the all call. All right, no problem. Go Bucks. Go Bucks, Brenda. I, it's funny. She's like, I had an okay weekend. Don't let the Brewers ruin your weekend. By the way, shout out before I forget. I had an excellent weekend. Uh, in Eau Claire, well, not directly in Eau Claire. I was actually in Altoona for a wedding on Friday night. What a wonderful wedding, a wonderful venue, and a great city. I love Eau Claire, where I grew up very close to Eau Claire, about a half hour away. And congrats to the the bride and groom, Ben and Riley Hoffman. What a wonderful time that was. And thank you for uh, thank you for having us. I did my best to impress on the dance floor. I probably look like an idiot, but that's that's part of the funny. I was 
Oh, it's in Eau Claire. It was a good weekend. The Brewers didn't ruin my weekend. We'll talk more about the Brewers in about 10 minutes. The umpiring was bad. I'm glad Brenda went there because now I'm not I'm not the one bringing it up because I'm always the petty guy. If I bring up officiating, it's like, okay, Grant's being a whiny homer. And I'm not saying you're a whiny homer, Brenda, but it's not just me. That's the point. It was, it was a collective frustration. So I, I feel like our hate at the umps is going to be justified when we talk about that coming up next. The Bucks won last night, 120-100. We did the Giannis thing. We talked about how Drew and Portis, they all had big third quarters. I think Middleton was good, too. He got blitzed a ton in the high screen and rolled by double teams. And he's ready for it. He was, a good, he was a good assister out of it, a passer, a facilitator. I think he did a good job recognizing when he needed to get the ball out of his hands. And he had six assists. He had room for some more. He made a couple bad passes, too. But by and large, Middleton was great, even if the numbers weren't outstanding. One thing we didn't talk about, and I want to before we move along, is Devin Booker. Devin Booker wasn't good last night. He was 3 of 14. And in the fourth quarter last night, I actually got a text from my mom, and I'm going to pull up the text just to make sure I... I don't want to uh, improperly quote my mother and put words in her mouth, although I don't <laughs> I don't think what she said was... Yeah, she texted me last night in the fourth quarter, 9, 10 p.m. She says, is Booker injured? I said, no. I don't think they'll put him in unless the game gets closer. And she goes, he played tonight? Question mark. I said, yeah, not a great night for him, 3 of 14. And then she said, gotcha, Bucks are on fire. That was the end of our conversation. So my mom notices Devin Booker is on the bench. He had a he had a poor night. He played. Let me check his minutes last night. Slow computer loading the box real quick. Devin Booker. So what about those Suns, huh? Yeah. What about okay? Got the box for him. He played uh, 29 minutes last night, which is fewer than Chris Paul by a big margin. Fewer than Jay Crowder. Uh, actually, fewer than Cam Johnson too. Devin Booker didn't play a whole lot last night, and I it made me. Like my mother made me confused a little bit. Like I get if they're conserving his body, and I'm all for protecting guys' bodies. But why is a 36 year old Chris Paul playing late if not for Devin Booker? And I get it. Like okay, you go on a quick run, you bring Booker back in. But I just I didn't see that in the cards. Chris Paul's still out there, but Booker's on the bench. I think there might be something afoot with him. Maybe not, but maybe. And Nick Wright, who I was watching this morning, I already talked about this, laid out these numbers really well. And I just want to share them with you. I'd feel bad for taking these numbers from him, but he has a staff to compile all these things. I'm just one person. And I had to do the dishes this morning. I was really behind. So I just like, I, I'll steal Nick Wright's numbers. It's fine. I'm crediting him. Good show. First things first. Or at least he's good. I could, uh, the other guy's a little indifferent on. Anyways, the numbers. Devin Booker has slowly kind of deteriorated as these playoffs have gone on. The last eight games. So game two of the Western Conference Finals now. 36% from the field. 29% from three. Neither is great. The shooting splits have gotten worse over the playoffs. 48-43. So I, when I say these numbers, the first number's from the field. The second number's from three. 48-43 against LA. 48-31 against Denver. 38-29 against the Clippers. And so far, 38-33 against Milwaukee. He was 8 of 21 in game one. He's 4 of 12 in the first half of game two, although he was outstanding in the second half. And then 3 of 14 last night. Essentially, Devin Booker has looked like bad Chris Middleton for the last two rounds. And Booker has never played this late into the year. Up until this year, he had never made the postseason. Now, the game totals are similar due to the shortened season. But Devin Booker is a guy that makes his living off tough shots. And tough shots get tougher when you're wearing down and getting tired. Which I just want to say before we wrap this up and talk Brewers. A further testament to Chris Middleton and how good he is. By the way, he played 41 minutes last night. Good defense. Good offense. Faced a lot of double teams in the high pick and roll. And he assisted out of it. He played well. Booker, I don't, I don't know. Something's, something's afoot there. Let's take a break. Text me, 608-796-2558. Tweet me, as Big Joe has done. Wants a big uh, big shout-out. He says, been busy lately. 
Uh, hope you were well. Go Bucks. Hey, the ump this weekend were horrible. Yes, they were, Big Joe. And let's talk about that. Brewers talk next on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show. My name Grant Bills. No Brewers game tonight. No Bucks game tonight. I know sports radio hosts are supposed to hate the All Star break. But I'm looking forward to this week. Yeah, the Bucks play Wednesday, but other than that, I got tonight, I got tomorrow, I got Thursday, Friday. I don't have to. I think the Brewers are back on Friday, actually. But I don't have to watch anything. I think I'm going to go for a walk tonight in the evening breeze. Maybe do a little yard work. Enjoy my free time. We have so much to talk about, including I, I mentioned it to start the show. If you're a UFC fan, Saturday night was a blast. I'm not a huge UFC fan, but I certainly enjoyed it. Brett texts in and says, "I think there is something afoot." With McGregor. Uh, I, is that insensitive? I, I'm not sure. I don't know how we handle UFC etiquette. These people are always trying to kill each other. Like, can we joke about injuries? Like, his foot was, yeah, his leg was straight up broken. That was too bad because he was so close to the end of the round. I thought we were going to get a second round, and uh, no, we did not because his leg, uh, well, his leg gave out on him. Brett, you're right about that. Jason uh, sends, sends me a heck of a text. Um, and I, and it's long and he's like, you don't have to read the whole thing. And, I, and I'm not gonna, Jason's essentially making the point. It's like, look, Giannis has had a really good matchup for the last three games. He essentially, Jason, I think you're saying you would rather see Giannis score 40 points in 10 of 20 finals games in the future against the less favorable matchup. I don't know. Does anyone remember how favorable the matchup was for Shaq in 2000 when he was stacking up 40 point double doubles? Like, I think we get over that. I think a 35-point player becomes a 40-point player against a good matchup. I don't know that a player who averages 16 and 8 suddenly averages 40 and 12 simply because they get a good matchup. So I agree with you that he does have a good matchup, but it's not like Jeff Teague is going off for 30 and 12 because all of a sudden this is a good series for him. And I'm not saying that he is an all-time great. He hasn't won a title, but he's playing and he's doing things that only great players and all-time players have done. Is that a little bit clear? I don't want to get ahead of my skis, but I don't want to discount any of this. We shouldn't be discounting any of this because what he's doing is unbelievable. In the last 20 years, it's really only been done by LeBron. Thank you, Jason, for the text. 608-796-2558, Twitter, at Wisco Grant. I want to talk about the Brewers. I've been very excited for this discussion today. Any Brewers conversations that we have this week are kind of going to need to be more big picture. Not so much like, oh, that double last night was wild. Uh, It was the story of the game because there are no games to talk about. And I like big picture discussions. I like philosophical discussions, strategic discussions about baseball. I'm no philosopher, as I'm sure will come to a shock to you. I took a few philosophy college and classes. I always found it interesting. I was never a great philosophy student, but it was interesting. I like when you can take real life principles, theories, philosophical ideas, whatever, and apply them to sports. I think it's very interesting. I've done this a few times over the show. Like I have a couple of things that I really always like to bring up. I think earlier the show we referenced this, I think a couple of weeks ago we talked about Occam's razor, right? And I pulled the definition. A scientific and philosophical rule that entities should not be multiplied unnecessarily, which is interpreted as requiring that the simplest of competing theories should be preferred to the more complex or that explanations of unknown phenomena be sought first in terms of known quantities. Essentially, the simplest explanation is normally the correct explanation. Kind of shoots a hole in my segment back at 4.30 when we talked about variant stats. Maybe it's just the team that shoots better. Team that hits more threes is going to win. Occam's razor would suggest that to be the case. That's an interesting principle to bring into sports. The Peter principle. This might be my favorite one. Peter principle is management concept, which 
says that people in a hierarchy, a company or a business or whatever, they're always promoted to their maximum level of incompetence. I think that's the buzzword from the theory. So employees are going to be promoted on their successes and on their merits, and they're going to be promoted until they reach a level in which they are no longer competent because their their skills aren't translating anymore, right? We see this in the NFL all the time. Offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators who are great at their job, they're promoted to a head coach and they are promoted to their level of incompetence. Pat Shermer is a good example. Maybe Dan Quinn is a good example. I don't think Matt Patricia is a good example. <laughs> I just think he's bad all around. His defense in New England wasn't good. He's a sharp guy, but I don't know if he's an example. We see this with depth in any sport too. Like if Kevin King has a hamstring injury or Jair Alexander were to get hurt, now you slide everyone up a spot. They're they're covering a player that they're not supposed to be covering. They have been promoted to their level of incompetence. The Peter Principle, very interesting to think about in the context of sports. John Locke, we were talking about a John Locke quote a couple of weeks ago. Whatever I write, as soon as I discover it to not be true, my hand shall be the forwardest to throw it into the fire. And I think we talked about this as it relates to empiricism. We were talking about uh, the Teddy Bridgewater trade a couple of months ago and general managers that are quick in recognizing and fixing their mistakes, right? They have no ego. They'll say, hey, I was wrong. Let's fix it. Uh, Steve Keim in uh, Phoenix is a good example, too. Took Rosen one year, immediately recognized his mistake. Hey, we're going to take Kyler Murray the next year. John Elway is an interesting example because the, the problem is, is he is quick to recognize and try to fix a mistake. The problem is he just makes too many mistakes. It's like, yo, you get one swing and a miss. Steve Kahn got one in Arizona. I don't know that you get five or six. You don't get Osweiler and Paxton Lynch and Drew Locke. And, like, you know what I mean? So there does reach a limit, I think, with John Locke's theory of empiricism. I like relating sports and movies and everything to sports. I want to stay on the scholarly path today. I want to talk about a principle from the 1950s. Edward Murphy, American aerospace engineer. I was reading about this today worked on safety-critical systems, on rocket ships, safety stuff, keeping the, keeping the astronauts safe. He's credited for Murphy's Law, which very plainly states is a simple one. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Poignant as it is accurate, which I appreciate after reading that wordy explanation for Occam's Razor. I want to take Murphy's Law, and I want to apply it to the Brewers, especially over the last 10 games, because when this team goes into the All-Star break, what can go wrong will go wrong, and it did go wrong. Absolutely every individual thing that could have gone wrong for the Brewers over the last couple of days went wrong. It was Murphy's Law, Council's Law, really, going into the All-Star break. And we talked about this last week. I think Jamie from Ken's Barbershop was the first to point this out. Yeah, I'm just ready for it. It's a yearly tradition. The Brewers are going to tank going into the break. He was ready. He considered it as a tradition, he said. And Jamie Wright, you were. And I'm getting a haircut tomorrow, so I'm going to see if we can talk about it. They had this terrible stretch in 2018, and I'll never forget it. Brewers won five in a row leading up to July 2nd to July 6th, and they were 53-35. and 35. They were 18 games over 500. Ten games left until the All-Star break. They go 2-8, and eight, including losing six in a row. Five of those were a sweep to the Pirates, and then they go into the break only 12 over. They lost six games in the standings. Now, 2021 hasn't been as bad. They went 4-6 and six in their final 10. They lost 3-4 of four to the Reds. They still lead the division by four games, right? They're hardly in a bad spot. But it was wild to watch this weekend. What could have gone wrong went wrong. And I remember that Pirate series in 2018, the the ultimate moment, the climax, was the ball going through Eric Kratz's legs in the mud, right? And that was the game-winning run for the Pirates. And you're like, seriously? We can't even corral the ball at home plate? 
you had the guy gunned out easily and the ball goes through your legs. What in God's green earth is going on here? Why is everything that could go wrong did go wrong in that 10-game stretch for the Brewers in 2018? And this last weekend was similar. Went four and six in their final 10. Not as bad, but what could have gone wrong this last weekend basically went wrong. Brenda brought it up. Binks brought it up. Everybody's been bringing it up. The umpiring was maybe the worst series I've ever seen. And I'm sure there's been bad ones. Like 10 years ago, the Brewers were garbage, and they had this one series where no ums could find the zone. Okay, sorry, I don't remember it. This weekend was the worst ump series I have ever seen. And I don't really like to complain about officiating. I try not to tweet about it because everybody tweets about it. It's like, you get enough of that. But God, it was so bad. It started with Brian Onora on Friday night. It was just this drunken train wreck of a performance. Like, all the outside pitches were strikes. All the inside pitches were strikes. Everything perfectly at the bottom of the zone was a ball. Everything up high was a strike, because I guess that's what umpires do now. You you call the upper pitches a strike in order to encourage a swing, and you don't call the low strike to encourage offense. I I I don't understand it. I don't get it. But that's what Brian Onora was on. I think he was drunk on Friday night. And I saw everybody, it's all easy. At least he's consistent. The bottom of the zone isn't there, but the top is. I don't care if he's consistent. I don't care. Try applying that logic to any other sport where an umpire is terrible, an official is terrible, but they do it consistently. Okay, let's think about that in the context of the NFL. What if officials, side judges on the sideline, were consistently calling wide receivers out of bounds? Let's say Devontae Adams has a toe-tapping catch on the sideline within a yard. He's a yard away from the sideline. He's called out of bounds. And the officials in that game, for whatever reason, just decide that that, that yard along the sideline is out of bounds. We're going we're gonna to take a, a yard, three feet off of the field. But they do it consistently. Well, at least they're consistent. I don't care. Right? That should be a catch, and it's not. That should be a strike or a ball, and it's not. And what ends up happening is, over time, hitters and coaches are forced to adjust through the best of their ability, so they're swinging at pitches they shouldn't be swinging at. They're watching pitches that they think are okay, and then they're not, and it changes how the game is played. It changes how hitters approach things. And if you did that in football, what would happen? Well, they'd stop running certain routes. Wide receivers would change the way they ran their plays, and they'd call different plays because of it, and now we're impacting the way that coaches and players are going about their game plan because the umps can't get their you-know-what in order. And that's what started on Friday, and it was a mess. And then that overflowed into Saturday. Castiano should have struck out. He didn't. He hits a three-run jack on the next play. Peralta's pissed, as he should be. Council's still pissed about the night before, so now he's getting tossed, as he should. Good for him. Then Yelich gets thrown out for a stupid call. Like, okay, I, I kind of get it. Like, oh, he, he perked up after touching first base. He didn't round. He made no effort to get to second. He just saw the ball go by, so he started paying attention. And then the ump calls him out. Yelich is pissed. He should have been. Votto gets thrown out for a check swing that was not a strike. Votto was right. And he let the ump hear about it. And then the ump gets in his feelings. He gets his feelings hurt because he blew a call. And now he's going to throw out Joey Votto because Joey Votto's mean. So now the fans are watching a team in a terribly umped game without Craig Council, without Christian Yelich, without Joey Votto. That's nice. I'm sure the, the fans that drove there from Rice Lake to see today's game are thrilled. Thank you, umpire and crew. Uh, fantastic content and an excellent game. Can't wait to drive back to American Family Field to do that all over again. Then yesterday, Adamus gets called out on a review for something so stupid. He stole second base. Oh, oh, his foot alleviated slight pressure on the bag, and there might have been an inch of daylight. I don't care. That's not why we have review. That's not why we have replay. Replay is to fix obvious mistakes, not to take a microscope, to the tiniest little details of the play. He was safe. Move along. Oh, well, he was pushing harder on the bag at the beginning of the play at the end. I don't care. Move along. 
and it just cracks me up. Bart Winkler tweeted this yesterday, and he'll be on with us tomorrow, by the way. He's been a very busy man with Wisconsin uh, hits because everybody wants to talk to the Milwaukee guys. So Bart Winkler will join us tomorrow. And I want to try to find this tweet, but essentially what he said was, it's amazing that a sport that measures balls and strikes based on basically what an ump feels that day, and then they measure to the nth degree on a replay on a stolen base at second. It's stupid. Like, it's two completely different metrics. They judge these games in two completely different ways. So stupid. And I want to try to find this tweet. Is it worth scrolling back for? Probably not. Probably not. You get my point. Like, balls and strikes is a nightmare, and we let things go all the time. Second base, he, oh, he took a little pressure off his foot. Oh, no, better throw him out. It was stupid. So the umpiring goes in the tank this weekend. Then Josh Hader goes in the tank, too, because, of course, what can go wrong will go wrong and did go wrong for the Brewers. Blew one lead, blew a tie. He's been he's perfect up until now, but the week before the All-Star break, we talk about Murphy's Law or Council's Law or however you want to apply it. What can go wrong will go wrong. That's exactly what happened. It was stupid. So stupid. And the umpiring made it unwatchable. I was trying to watch the Brewers on Sunday, and it was so frustrating that I almost just turned it off and just watched soccer. Italy and... England were playing or whatever. By the way, can I can I just get this off my chest? I don't want to be the guy who hates soccer because it's so overdone. Oh, soccer, all they do is flop and run around in circles all game. I'm not hating on soccer. I like soccer. It's a fun sport to play. I played it once upon a time, and I have respect for soccer. It's a global sport. But I will say this. If yesterday's soccer game was a great game, then I would really hate to have to watch a boring one because nothing happened. England got up early and then just sat back and did nothing the entire game. They tried to cling to their one-goal lead, so hours and hours and hours were taking away. And then after all of those hours, what happens? None of that even matters because we just go to a shootout anyways. Why don't we just do that at the beginning? Save everyone three hours, and I could have fired up the grill and got ready for the Bucks game a little bit sooner. If that was a good soccer game, I'd hate to see a boring one, and I don't even hate on soccer. I see the appeal sometimes. I did not see the appeal yesterday. But everyone in America is on Twitter like, oh, such a great game. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I just want to prove that I'm I'm hip and with it because I watch European soccer. Save it. Get mad about the umps instead. It's fine. Final segment coming up. I got nothing planned, so if anything, you got to get off your chest. We can hit that. Otherwise, final thoughts on the Bucks. Maybe wrap up our thoughts on the Brewers as well and whatever else comes up. I see Stephen A. has uh, talking more about his Otani comments from today, so maybe that'll be entertaining. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show, whatever we're talking about, coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. <laughs> 